Open up your Bibles to the book of Colossians. If you're not familiar with the Bible, if it's fairly new to you and you've never been in church before, it's in the right side of the Bible, kind of the second half, if you will. And uh, there's um, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians is the book. It's a small book. We call it a book in the Bible. It was actually a letter uh, written to a church many years ago, about 2,000 years ago. Um, and we're going to give you a little bit of background on that. But just if you're new here or haven't been here for a few weeks, we've been going through the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. And we're going to continue to do that. And we're going to intersperse the book of Colossians because I, I want to preach through the book of Colossians um, before... Um, I, uh, at some point, move on. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, we are transitioning this year to uh, new leadership. I'm going to be stepping back at some point in time, but uh, it is my heart's desire to build you up in the Lord while I'm here, and I love the book of Colossians. And so we are, are going to really dig into this, and I believe it will be a blessing to you because uh, it's one of my favorite books, not just it's going to be a blessing because of that, but you will see here. And if you have found Colossians by this point in time, I want to encourage you to look at chapter 1, verse 13. We're going to cover all 13 verses this morning, but this 13th verse is really, it sets the stage for the entire letter to the book, to the, the Colossian church. It says this, referring to the Father, our God and Creator. Father, he says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. That is both talking about salvation as well as what we would describe as sanctification, life today. The question is, what kingdom are you living for? I don't know about you, but this past week, it was a battle. I mean, I don't get up and show up even here at the church Monday morning and someone asks me about spiritual stuff. It's usually about stuff regarding this world. I've discovered after many years following Christ, most people never make the decision to actually live for the kingdom of God. They have trusted in God, but they are still living in darkness. They've never turned on the switch. Or if they have turned it on, they went back and turned it off. Let me just give you an illustration. Uh, Brett, could you please turn out the lights? Now I want you to open up the text and see if you can read verse 1. A little bit harder, right? Struggling a little bit. Some of you got some light there in the back, maybe not so hard. Oh, everyone's going, I've got it on my phone. Not a, not a problem at all. We're still old school sometimes around here. All right. Well, turn off your phone. See how good you are then, right? That would probably be a better illustration, would it not? Because Monday morning at work, or do you have your, your Bible open at work, right? It's, it's kind of hard to walk in light when you, you have no light. All right, Brett, you can turn the lights back on. I've just discovered the idea is so simple that we overlook it. 
We'll talk about all sorts of theologies, all sorts of of difficulties in our life, all sorts of, of deep questions that we might have. But the very simple decision to get up every day and live, not in darkness, but for the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus Christ. Are you living for Jesus? Not have you believed in Jesus? That's an important question. But is that the kingdom you're living for? It's so hard. Well, let's begin. Let me give you a background on what's going on here. It starts like this. We'll begin in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at, and here you can pronounce this any, any way you want. In the Greek, it's Colossae. It, it doesn't look like that in the English. Colossae, maybe in the English, but uh, Colossae or, or Colossae, however you want to pronounce it. But this is a place, Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now, you're, are you wondering where in the world is this place at? What is this all about? Well, if we can look at the first slide here, I'll have a little help. This is a picture of the Mediterranean Sea. If you've never been to Europe before, you can at least probably recognize on the left-hand side the boot of Italy. And in between the boot and this thing that looks like a thumb that's sticking out on the right is a place called Greece and all these little islands. And the thumb sticking out on the right-hand side is what we call Turkey today. And below that, to the right, right there on the edge of the screen, um, is Syria, where we're at war, and Lebanon, or or some of our troops were at war. And then below that is Israel, Arabia, Egypt, Libya. A lot's going on there today, but a lot happened there 2,000 years ago. So if we could have this next slide. This focuses in right here on Turkey. Believe it or not, much of the New Testament action and the letters that are going on that you read in the Bible is not happening in Israel. So much of the Old Testament and and the Gospels are occurring in Israel, but until you really pull out the maps, you don't realize how the Gospel had spread in the New Testament itself. And so what we're looking at is right here called Colossae. It is in Turkey. Look at a few other names that you might be familiar with if you uh, have read the New Testament. Laodicea or Laodicea, Heropolis, Philadelphia, Sardis, Smyrna, Thyatira, Pergam, Troas, Troy, uh, Patmos, Kos. All of these cities should sound familiar to you. Ephesus, huge city. From Ephesus right here over to Colossae, it's about 115 miles to give you an idea. And there's a valley that runs through here. Uh, Timothy, the individual that you heard along with Paul, he's from Lystra Derby over in here in Iconium, Antioch. And then over here in Greece, you have Corinth, Athens. You have Thessalonica, Philippi up here. So all these, these city names that might be familiar to you because they're the names of books in the Bible or letters in the Bible, so much of the New Testament action took place in Turkey, of all places, and Greece. So if you ever want to take a trip, an international trip, to see some of the sites, you can see much of the New Testament actually in Turkey. If we could have the next slide, please. This is Colossae, or Colossae. 
It's a mound today. It's, been, it's not been excavated. That's the extent of the city today. Now, 2,000 years ago, it was a minor city as well. The cities around it were actually much larger than it. But as you can see, it sits in this valley at the base of some mountains. And I wanted to show you that because it's very familiar to you here. We sit in the valley at the base of some mountains. And the climate is fairly similar. And the people there are facing the same difficulties as you and I. So there's a little bit of background just to, to set it up. We'll, we'll go into some deeper background in the weeks to follow, but if we could have the next slide as well. It really comes back to this simple question. Are you still living in darkness? Do you know what the light is? And so here's the lead up to that statement. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, an apostle was someone who was specifically called by God. He, it was gifted to the church. The apostles and prophets are the foundation of the church. There is a sense in the New Testament in which the apostle is used simply as messenger, but these are individuals the apostles of Jesus Christ, they were eyewitnesses of Jesus by the will of God in Timothy, who was a convert, our brother, to the saints. The Greek here word is used as holy. It's not necessarily referring to without sin, but simply as set apart because things and objects in the Old Testament were considered holy. It's not as though the uh, a, a thing could be holy without sin. It couldn't sin or not sin. It was set apart for the will of God, for the purposes of God. So as, as Paul introduces the letter here, it's an a, a, a introduction that should be familiar to you if you've read Ephesus and Philippi or, or Philippians. It is a common introduction that Paul uses to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ. That's their identity. At Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. Now that may sound fairly standard like dear or, or uh, how you doing or hey or hi or however you start your emails or texts, if you even use a start these days. But here's the basis. Grace to you and peace. God desires peace in our lives, in Christ. There might be a lot of things going on, but he continues. He always introduces his letters, or almost always introduces the letter, letters as grace to you and peace from God our Father. Verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So they're thankful. They're praying for the believers. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, you'll find out in the coming weeks that this letter Paul had never been to this church. So if you've ever thought, man, it must be easy for those New Testament churches. They had Paul, right? Or they had John or Peter. These guys were eyewitnesses to Jesus. It, it must be easy. No, this church was never a part of Paul's ministry in a sense that it was not founded by Paul. Uh, apparently, it was founded by Epaphras or, or an individual's other that are not named. But whatever the case is, Paul had heard of their faith. The question is, what kind of reputation does this church have? And by the way, you're a part of this church. What kind of reputation? Do we proclaim the gospel? Do we live out our faith in such a way that others talk about it? I encourage you today, if you're still living in darkness, if you've trusted in Jesus, but you're just kind of 
going to church and being religious to say, wait a minute, is that all that God wants from me? Is that all the the hope that God has in store for me? I, I believe there's more according to the text here. He says, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. Why? Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. What is one of the primary indicators that you're a disciple of Jesus? If you have love for one another. The question here is, I always ask everyone, how can you love someone if you don't even know their name? We're a fairly small church. Well, actually, in, in the scope of America, we're an average-sized church, to be honest. The average-sized church in America is about 100 or less. But even in a, in a church that size, how many people in here do you know? And of those that you know, how many do you even like? (laughs) Some of us can be kind of annoying, right? But then to love one another. But he says, man, we have heard of your faith in, in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So their hope in Christ is eternal. It is beyond this world. And because of that, they can actually love one another. It's this amazing, beautiful thing. And he says in verse 5, the second half, he says, Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. So the gospel contains this hope in heaven, this faith in Jesus Christ. He says, Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. What is bearing fruit and increasing? The gospel as it also does among you. So he's writing to believers, but the gospel isn't a one-time thing. It is bearing fruit and increasing among them, not only within their church, but hopefully as they're sharing. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Let me read that again. Of this you've heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it. So the gospel is is truth. You can understand it and you hear it. In a nutshell, Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. So it starts out, for the wages of sin is death. That's not good news. But here's the good news. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. If you're here today and you've never heard that before, that is the Bible, that is the very words of Scripture making a claim. You see, I I run across, I don't know about you, do you work with people? Do you go to school with people? Say yes. 
All right, you're not staying at home. Even if you're a stay-at-home mom, you're around people, you have friends, your work is maybe your kids or whatever the case may be. And what you will run across is this. People will use all sorts of different arguments, objections, and scenarios that they will avoid the truth of God for whatever reason. They can, they can come up with any scenario that you can possibly imagine. But here's the one thing. This is, the, this is what's so amazing about the gospel. It cuts through all that. Why? Because it starts out with a simple foundational truth that no one can ignore. For the wages of sin is death. No philosophy can overcome death. No argument can overcome death. Death is coming. If, if you were born, you're going to die. And I don't know how you think of that. Maybe you want to avoid thinking about that. But when someone first shared that with me when I was 13 years old, quite frankly, I'd never thought about death. I was thinking about growing up, what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a pilot. I wanted to do all sorts of things. I wanted a girlfriend. I wanted a college degree. I wanted a lot of stuff. I wasn't thinking about death, but someone slapped me in the face, sort of, so to speak, and said, for the wages of sin is death. It's over. It's done. It's coming. And they slip that whole part in of sin. The result of sin is death. And then I started thinking, well, have I sinned? And I didn't know the Bible at all. I'd never read it. But I thought, yeah, I've, I've sinned. I don't even know what it is, but it sounds bad. And I've done some bad stuff, right? The very, the very thing that I could even imagine being bad, I, I didn't realize until later is, unless there is a God, a moral standard bearer, then you can't say anything is good or bad. There is nothing. If we're just evolved animals, there is no standard of good and bad. It must come outside of mankind. Otherwise, it's entirely relative. So there was this standard that we all recognize of sin and, and the, the wages, what comes from sin is death. But then they gave me the good news. What is the good news? Well, it's simply this. The free gift of God to us. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He paid the price. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But this free gift, he offers it to us freely by his grace through faith, is eternal life. So you no longer have to fear death. You have eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's not just eternal life. What I misunderstood when someone explained the gospel to me for the first time, I thought it was like this kind of buffet where you get all this good stuff in Christianity and, oh, by the way, there's God. No, all the good stuff is in Jesus. You get Jesus, and when you get Jesus, you get redemption, you get forgiveness, you get eternal life. You get a relationship. His spirit indwells you. He seals you. It gives you a new heart, and it's free. How do you get it? Well, Romans 10, 17 says this, So faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Someone has to proclaim it. The Bible contains 
the good news. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning even the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The gospel is alive and active. And when you hear it, even though our hearts are calloused, it pierces and gives you the opportunity to do this. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe, you are commanded to believe, you have a choice, you either believe or do not believe. When you hear the gospel, the, the time is short. As the Holy Spirit moves in us, you have this choice, believe or don't believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It's not this secret belief that you hold by yourself in a corner somewhere and never talk about it. You actually have to proclaim Jesus as Lord. It's not something that's private. It is public. It changes you. Jesus is now your Lord. Why did we take the time to go through that? It seems so simple because the question is this. If you are living in darkness, you have to ask yourself, why? If last week in your life was not full of joy, if it was not full of peace, it was, if, it, if you are not living in the grace of God, being built up in him, you have to ask yourself, why? Are you an unbeliever still, where you've never made that decision, or are you still immature in faith? If you've, if you've known Christ for 20 years, yet your life is still this roller coaster and you're constantly dealing with darkness, ask yourself, are you really actually growing or are you just looking for spiritual pet pills to get you through the week? Trying to turn on Christian radio, trying to have a quick devotion, trying to come to church and constantly trying to give you this boost, but all the while in your heart, you've never let the, the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another as Paul will go on later in Colossians to say. Where are you at on that continuum? Are you an unbeliever, a new believer, an immature believer, or a mature believer? Have you understood the grace of God in truth? Verse 7 says, Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Later in Colossians 4, 12 through 13, it says this about Epaphras. It says, uh, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, and that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. That's the role of a pastor. Whatever pastor comes to pastor this church ought to continually admonish you, encourage you, build you up, and call you to maturity in all the will of God. Not just a message of salvation, but a salvation that leads to faith, that produces good works, that changes your life. It is, he is a faithful minister in verse 13. He says, For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for all those in Laodicea and Herlopolis. 
he was ministering to these three churches that were within about 20 miles of one another. He was this hardworking guy that you probably never heard of. Epaphras, a beloved fellow servant or slave. Verse 9, And so from the day we heard it, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking what? And this is the cool part, verses 10 through 12 lay out. What is, how, do we, how do we turn on the switch? What are we to be praying for? What is our goal this coming week? If you've had a hard week, and, and how do we really define hard weeks? Really? Maybe battling with a health problem, family issues, uh, battling with, I don't know, decisions at work, school issues, interpersonal issues. In the New Testament, their problems were those, but they also had to deal with the reality of death and, and being tortured. Later on in other books, Epaphras here, he is referred to by Paul as his fellow prisoner in chains. If today it were illegal for you to be here, if it were illegal for us to gather and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, would you be here? Would you risk your property? Would you risk your job? You see, if you're going, well, I don't know, then the I don't know is you're probably still leaning towards darkness, the domain of darkness. Because quite honestly, even though it's called darkness, it, it can be pretty fun sometimes, right? I've, I, if you've been over to my house, I like my house. I really like my hot tub, right? <laughs> it's pretty nice. I don't, when I go out in the hot tub, I don't think I'm sitting in darkness, right? I kind of want it dark because you don't want to see me in the hot tub, but I'm enjoying darkness, right? I'm out, out, in the, out in kind of underneath. I can see the, the stars at night. I'm enjoying my truck. I'm enjoying my golf clubs this past week, right? So, when, when it says we're transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of, of the beloved Son, we don't really view life as darkness, do we? But it gets back to this. What lens are we looking through? And this is what he's about to explain in verses 9 through 12. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So number one, as you're maturing, this is what Paul's prayer for, for the, the church. And I, I, it's my prayer for you as well, that you may be filled with all knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This to be filled, it's a passive verb. The text really doesn't explain how that is occurring whether that's through the Holy Spirit, whether that's through letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly as he later admonishes them, whether it's through putting off the old self and putting on the new self as he will continue to explain in the weeks to come. He doesn't really say it's, it's an activity of God. He's asking God to do this, but at the same time, there's limitations, right? For instance, do you know all spiritual wisdom and understanding? Do you have all of scripture in your heart right now? So apparently, and I wish it were the case, that God would just insert all of his word into my heart. <laughs> Be like, cool, I'm done. 
I'll take it in Greek, uh, Aramaic, and Hebrew. I'll take it all, God. Just put it right in there. But there is this aspect, and, and many of you have, have talked to me about this, the difficulty of hiding God's word in your heart, and you realize there is spiritual warfare going on. You, you can easily memorize one thing, but if I give you a single verse, and like three weeks later I ask you about it, and you're still struggling with it, and yet we see little children who God says, let the little children come to me. If you'll humble yourself like one of these little children, then you can enter the kingdom of God. These little children have the ability to soak up scripture like nobody's business. If you ask yourself, why is that? Well, you can't just blame it on your age. You are incredibly smart. Many of you do things beyond my understanding. We have engineers, we have vets, we have doctors, we have incredibly brilliant people in here. But when I ask you, can you do what these little children are doing? You're like, well, I struggle at it. The reason being is it is a spiritual battle. And there is something spiritual that we ought to pray for here, that we be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Verse 10, so why do we do this? Why are we trying to understand what God says, his will regarding the kingdom of his beloved son? That is all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why should we do that? As to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Notice what it doesn't say there. It doesn't say you got to do this so you can become a missionary or a pastor. We often want to say, well, I don't want to be a missionary or a pastor, so that, that's the top tier of disciples. I'm just, I want to attend and serve and, and just be nice. Therefore, I don't need all this knowledge. Yes, you do. You need all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? The, the scriptures say, and I love this, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, to live. Here's where people really go off the rails. When I'm asking, are you still living in darkness it, it's kind of hard because you're like, well, I go to work, I raise kids, I mow my lawn, I'm trying to be nice. What do you want from me, Scott? Well, what I want you to do is what Scripture says. I want you to live a life fully pleasing to God. And unless you know what that looks like, you can't do it. Because ask yourself, if all the good stuff that you think you did this past week, could your neighbor, who is an unbeliever maybe, do the same thing? Could your neighbor work really hard at their job? Could they mow their lawn? Could they raise their kids to be polite? Could, they could do a lot of the same stuff. So the idea here is this. Most people miss this in Scripture. They think the greatest goal, and this is a lot of this is due to bad preaching over the years, the greatest goal is to turn you into an evangelist. You take the gospel and you go share. That's good, but they miss the part that is transforming your life into Christ-likeness. It's called sanctification in Scripture. It's called being holy as Christ is holy, set apart to God. In other words, when I look at you, I should see the image of God. That's what we were created for. We were created in the image of God. So when I see you today, you should be more Christ-like than you were yesterday. 
Why? Because this is pleasing to God. And what is pleasing? As you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, you bear fruit in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God. And this isn't just a head knowledge. If, if you've walked by faith in trusting God in, in some difficult area of your life, maybe you tried ministry in some way, you tried reaching out to a neighbor, and you're like, man, I don't know enough of God's word, but I, I, I want to share the simple gospel with them. And, and you're taking these steps of faith. You, re, you learn to rely on God in a different way. There is a relationship that we have. And all of a sudden... You grow in the knowledge of God. It's, you grow intellectually because you take his promises and trust in them, but you grow in a knowledge of God just like your kids grow in a knowledge of you. Can they trust you? It's not, you know, have your kids ever given you a test? And you're like, well, I wouldn't mind it if it were multiple choice, but I wouldn't want an essay, right? Have, your kids don't know you because they read a book about you. They have certainly heard your words and listened to your words, but what they really know about you is how you live. And so as we know God, we can hear his words, but we get to know him as we take those words and trust in him. And so we bear fruit in every good work as we do that, increasing in the knowledge of God. And notice this, verse 11. Again, Scripture doesn't say how this occurs. The Holy Spirit is indwelling in us. But he says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Why? So you can coast in retirement easy. So you can have a really good game of golf. So you can really raise good kids. So you can buy a bigger house. Is that why we're strengthened with all power according to his glorious might? This is the part I don't like. For all endurance and patience with joy. What does that imply? It's going to be a battle. You see, when you battle, you're not necessarily living in darkness. The battle is an indication that you're striving for the, the kingdom of the beloved son. If you're battling in your life, th then this is what God calls you to, to put off the old self, to put on the new self. There's this cool aspect that God strengthens you with all power according to his least amount he can do. Now, according to his glorious might. See, here's the cool thing. If you want to really know what it means to be filled with the Spirit, to be strengthened with the very power of God, you actually have to live for him. Today, the commonality is to try to fake that power through signs and gifts and wonders, to try to achieve that power for an hour or two out of the week. If you really want to experience the power of God, you have to live for his kingdom. And to, this is amazing. As you do this, you get joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Light versus darkness. And finally in verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. He transferred you out of it. 
The question is, have you stepped back into it as if you were never transferred in the first place? I wish it were as easy as God just does it in our life, but as you're going to learn in the coming weeks in Colossians, he tells the Colossians they have a tremendous amount of things they're going to have to battle. They're going to have to battle false teaching. They're going to have to battle their own hearts where they put to death certain things in their life, sexual immorality and impurity and all these things, and to put on certain things. But he challenges them of this is what it means to live for the kingdom of the beloved son. This transformation, living in the light. And I'll close with this. If you were to die tomorrow, someone gave you a death sentence and told you, you have just this day left. This is all you got. You have one day left in this world. What would you do? Would you attempt to get the fertilizer spread on the lawn so when the weeds come up in a few months, it's looking good? Trying to dodge in between the rain and the snow? Would you go clean the toilets? Would you put in a few extra hours of work this afternoon? What would you tell your kids? Would you tell your kids, grow up, get a good education, get a good job? You would maybe tell them that you love them, but beyond that, what would you tell them? If you knew that you weren't going to be around to, to have any more years or time with them, what would be the most important message that you would tell them? What would you talk to your friends about? Time is ticking. Tomorrow you die. Would you be living for the domain of darkness or would you be living for the kingdom of the beloved son? Would you be living with the idea that your hope is not in this world, that death has no control over you? You'd, you would not be living in fear. What's important in life? for you right now today? And are you living like that? It's my prayer that you are. Let's, let's pray. Father, I just thank you so very much for Jesus Christ. We talk about him because maybe we're familiar with him. Maybe others have talked about him. But Lord, if there's anyone here that has never had a personal relationship with him. I pray that your just Holy Spirit moves in their heart right now and draws them to you. That your, your word cuts through and touches their heart. That for maybe the very first time, they're able to understand through the power of the gospel what it means to be saved what it means to have hope in eternity, Lord. Father, help them to be bold enough to look at life for what it really is and to make the decision that you command us to make, to repent and to believe, to trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, to confess him 
that they might have eternal life this very day, that they might not wait another minute, another second, that they can have hope not just for eternity, but hope in this world, Lord, that their life matters for eternity. Father, I thank you for all those in here that are faithful, that are struggling. I pray you'll strengthen them. Help them to hide your word in their hearts. Fill them, strengthen them with all power according to your glorious might. Father, thank you for your mercy in my life and your grace. In Christ's name I pray this. Amen.